Father Wes always sends me the gospel reading that's going to be used at the service when he's asked me to preach. Well, when he sent me the gospel text for today, I said, uh, please check and be sure that you've sent me the right gospel reading, Luke 2, 22 to 40. Because, see, the Eucharistic lectionary in the prayer book, it lists the prologue to John's gospel. John 1, 1 to 18, in years A, years B, and year C. And number two, because Luke 2, 22 to 40, that's the story of the presentation of Christ in the temple, which occurred 40 days after Easter, after the birth of Jesus, and this is only the seventh day of Christmas. Well, according to the lectionary that he uses, <laughs> he's correct. <laughs> it is the gospel for the first Sunday after Christmas, year B, but I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> this story is one of the few stories in the Gospels that have to do with Jesus' childhood. And the scarcity of the information about Jesus' childhood reminds us the Gospels are not primarily biographies. The Gospels are charismatic proclamations giving us what the gospel is. So Luke's childhood stories seek to make theological points. That Jesus was born a Jew, among Jews. That Jesus came under the law of Moses. And of course, that links in with the epistle today where Paul writes that Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law so that he might redeem those under the law. Now, this presentation of Christ in the temple 40 days after his birth is motivated by very specific requirements from the law of Moses. According to Jewish law, after giving a birth, a woman was considered ritually unclean. And she had to wait for 40 days. And then she would come to the temple and took two sacrifices with her. And they made her ritually clean again after giving birth. And this act is prescribed in chapter 12. And it requires that a lamb and a pigeon be sacrificed. But if that was too costly... Two pigeons or doves could be sacrificed instead. In addition, in Exodus chapter 13, it states, every firstborn male, which opens the womb, now that could be an animal or a human, that belongs to the Lord. And while clean animals would be sacrificed, Firstborn sons had to be redeemed. And if you read in Exodus 13, it says that, no, this is Numbers chapter 3. The redemption, and redemption involved paying 
five shekels to the priesthood. So this biblical notion of redemption included the idea that the firstborn son belongs to the Lord in a very special way, and he's dedicated to serve him. So, at the same time as Mary's ritual cleansing happened, Jesus, as the firstborn male, was presented to God. Now, this is a pretty exciting time for the Holy Family. It was really, I think, possibly a little like baptisms today. Going to the temple to fulfill this religious duty of cleansing and presenting. See, that was every bit as familiar to this young couple and the people that were in the church that day as people coming to the church for baptisms is for Christians today. Now, to Mary and Joseph, the memory of angels announcing the birth and shepherds who were told, come and see, those memories are still fresh in their minds. But for Mary and Joseph, this is about obeying the law. And this is something very, evidently very important to Mary and Joseph. In fact, Luke says on five occasions that they were doing what was necessary under the law. Now the Holy Spirit had gone ahead of this modest family and had planted two people in the temple courts that very day. Two people who had been told by God for years that they would live to see just such a day as this one when the Christ child, the consolation of Israel, would show up. Now, have you ever heard that old saying, good things happen to those who wait? Well, if so, the story of Anna, Anna and Simeon is a really excellent example. The coming of Christ, it involved all manner of waiting on God. A young maiden, a dying old man, an old widow, they all model hearts yielded to God, waiting. And when we wait, we hope for all sorts of things. And you just think about, what are you waiting for right now? Are you waiting for the sermon to be over so you can eat lunch? <laughs> or you can get ready for your New Year's celebration? We all know what it's like to wait, waiting for life to change, for grief to go away, for a prayer to be answered, for joy to return. And when our dreams don't come true in a day, I think we, like Anna and Simeon, need to keep in mind that God is still at work. He's still wrapping the package He's still preparing the gift to fit our needs. So we need to pray not just for the gift, but also for patience to wait for God's unveiling. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It says he was waiting for the comfort that the Lord had promised. 
Remember, he promises people, comfort, comfort ye my people. That's what the prophet Isaiah had spoken centuries before. And Simeon is waiting, wanting to see the fulfillment of that promise. Now, it was revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. But I want you to think about what that means. Simeon's been promised that he will see the Messiah, the Christ, the one whose name means salvation. And that promise was made hundreds of years before it was fulfilled. And so Simeon must have lived out those years, those decades with hope, with trust, with expectation, with hope, anticipation, every day for weeks, for months, for years, for decades. Simeon's is left. He's sitting there waiting and wondering, is this the day? You know, is this the day that I will see salvation? Or is this the day I'm going to give up hope? Is this the day I will experience fulfillment? Or is this the day I'm going to despair that it will ever be fulfilled? Now, who of us has not had our own lives characterized by expectation, anticipation, and waiting? I think we've all stood in that waiting place, waiting for and needing something to happen, living and expecting and hope, anticipating the future, and wondering if today was the day. I mean, we get up each morning And we have to decide whether we will still believe in God's future or whether we'll give up. In fact, we've come here today trusting, anticipating the promise that God is present. He's working in our lives even though we can't clearly see how he's doing it. So we show up and we wait and that's exactly what Simeon did. Simeon continued to show up. He continued to be vigilant and attentive. He continued to trust the promise. He continued to hope. He never despaired. He never walked away from that promise. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes showing up, that is the most difficult work we have to do. Some days it takes all we've got just to show up. But it's always the question before us, will we continue to show up? Will we be awake and vigilant? Will we live with hope and trust? I mean, showing up is the means through which God fulfilled his promise to Simeon. And that's the way he fulfills his promise to us. Now, Who knows what Simeon and Anna really expected to see? I don't know. Maybe they envisioned a day when an Alexander the Great would ride into the temple, white horse and all, take it by storm. And maybe they envisioned a day when somebody as good-looking as King David strode into the temple and even angels singing above and people falling on their 
knees below. Well, whatever they thought they might see, what they actually saw when the Holy Spirit gave them a quickening of heart was far, far quieter than all that. They saw a baby. They saw a poor family. They saw a mother and a father who, despite what we as readers of Luke's gospel know in terms of everything that had been revealed to them about the special nature of this child, they were simply blown away by the testimony of Anna and Simeon as to what was to come. Now this man, Simeon, we don't know really how old he was, but the Bible says that he was righteous and devout. And we know he's been waiting his whole life. This is an incidental bit of trivia. There are only 12 identities in the Bible referred to as righteous or just. So this is really quite a commendation that is given to Simeon. And a full third of these 12 references to someone who is righteous, they're mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. Can you name the other three? Well, in case you happen to be invited to be a contestant on Jeopardy someday, I'll give you the answer. The other three mentioned in Luke are Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Joseph of Arimathea. Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child in to do for him what the law required, Jesus still in diapers, and that's when the old Simeon spotted him. Now, there was nothing special. There were no special effects. There were no halos to distinguish the family of Joseph and Mary and Jesus from all the other families there that day. And that's exactly how it would have appeared to Simeon had not the Lord given him a special revelation by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he had been told that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Messiah with his own two eyes. And time's running out. And when the moment finally came, that's all it took. And if he asked if he might hold the baby in his arms, and they told him to go ahead, but probably said, please be careful not to drop him. Simeon then spoke these words that are so very, very familiar to us because they're part of the daily office of morning prayer, the Song of Simeon, or as it's known, the Nunc Dimittis. Lord, now let us thy servant, servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Joseph and Mary, they marveled of what Simeon said about their baby. And then Simeon blesses them And then something stopped him. And he looked at the mother, and his expression changed. 
And what he saw in her face was a long way off, but it was so plainly there he couldn't pretend. A sword will pierce through your own soul. He would have rather bitten off his tongue than have said it, but in that holy place, he felt he had no choice. Then he handed her back the baby and departed. In maybe less than the perfect peace he had dreamed of all those years of waiting. Think about it. Wouldn't we all be startled next Sunday and possibly maybe a little annoyed and perplexed if while celebrating the sacrament of baptism for one of our children, and there are going to be five of them next Sunday, what if that ceremony got unceremoniously interrupted by a couple of senior parishioners who tottered back to the baptismal font, grabbed one of the children and said, Excuse me for interrupting your sacrament here, but people, I've just got to tell you something. This little child, he's going to grow up to be the president. And some will love him, and others will hate him. And you, you'll spend most of your years as parents worrying yourselves sick about his safety. Okay. Now I've said my little piece, you can get back to your baptizing the children. <laughs> Imagine how it feels that day when you present your firstborn son to the service of God, that as Simeon is handing Jesus back to Mary, he tells her that Jesus will cause the rise and fall of many in Israel and that a sword will pierce her own soul. Forty days old. And Mary knows that this life that was promised by God, proclaimed by angels, celebrated by shepherds, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. The incredible joy of visitation from angels is only the beginning of what the next 30 years is going to bring. How is this promise, then, of peace, salvation, and consolation to come about? Well, do not equate being comforted with being comfortable, because the consolation is going to come through conflict, and the salvation will come through sorrow and suffering. See, God's salvation doesn't mean that we will never suffer trouble or illness, rejection, and death. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Mary. It will happen to us. And the peace, it will come through a cross. Mary will experience sword -like, sorrow like a sword piercing through her soul when one day she's going to see her son suffering shame and humiliation and death on a cross. But that is how salvation will come. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Mary, true God and true man, 
will suffer and die for the sins of all men, winning our forgiveness. And with Christ's sacrificial death comes the salvation, the peace, the consolation that we all need. So here's the question today. What good is it to us if Simeon receives into his arms the child Christ and we do not? What good is it to us if Simeon sees with his eyes salvation and our eyes do not? What good is it to us if Simeon is free to go in peace if we are not? Now, we may not have laid our eyes on the infant Christ being carried into the temple that day. We may not have held the little baby in our arms. But here's what we do have. We have the same word, word of God, given to Simeon. Our ears have heard the word of the Lord. Our eyes have seen with the eyes of faith what God has laid before us, the path of peace leading all the way to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we receive the bread and the wine during Holy Communion, we are holding Christ's very body and blood, which was nailed to the cross and poured out for our forgiveness. We have seen it with our eyes, felt it with our hands, and on our tongues. And having been saved, we glorify God and depart in peace to share Christ's salvation throughout the world. See, it's a reminder that God is with us, speaking to us, and is delivering us. Even when the skies don't split asunder, and we see some magnificent moving of God. See, sometimes God speaks the very loudest through the quietest of incidents. Today, the presentation of Jesus doesn't happen in the Jerusalem temple, but in the temple of our lives. Week after week, month after month, year after year. It happens every time we show up for the Eucharist. God continues to come to us in the sacraments, but especially in the Eucharist. Simeon and Anna, they are symbolic representative figures, and the world has never been without people like them people living in hope and expectation that a great day was coming when wrong would be righted and justice would be done, when God will reveal his arm and bring salvation to mankind. One night, over 2,000 years ago, the Word became flesh 
and a baby was born in Bethlehem. One day, it will become flesh again when Christ returns and brings his kingdom to earth. And now to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all just new ascribed might, dominion, power, and majesty, world without end. Amen.